0: What a great weekend, right? we got a little bit of the overcast and rain for my people, the red-headed people with fair skin that burn in the sun. And now out there for all you who need that vitamin D, um, sun's shining bright, and so we'll get you out where you can enjoy that. But also a busy ministry weekend, right? We had the Women's Boutique here uh, yesterday. Anyone come and visit that? Okay, I was expecting a little more vibrant uh, response from that. We also had Food for Life. We partnered with them. We're handing out food for uh, those within the Chino Valley. We had the Boys Republic wreath building thing, and then we had uh, Operation Christmas Child box collection for all the churches in our region here all week. So it's been a, a really busy week, and we get to cap it off with wrapping up our study of the book of Ephesians today. And so if you have your bibles, you can join me for the last time uh, at least for us all together, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me again just recap Paul's purpose for this letter. Paul wrote this letter to a great church in the city of Ephesus, the church that I think reminds me a lot about you. This church in Ephesus, they had a powerful history where God did miraculous and amazing things through them to where they had an impact on their culture. And man, the same is true with you. The church of Ephesus was filled with good people who loved Jesus, who were excited about what God was still capable of doing in their midst, and so are you. But Paul had a, he wanted to encourage them, exhort them, remind them of an important aspect that maybe that church back then forgot, and I think sometimes our church today forgets, and that's who you are in Christ. What is your Christian identity? And Paul at the very beginning set it straight, said, you are saints, you are instruments of God, plucked out of this culture, redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and put back into culture to be a reflection of his glory. And Paul spent a lot of time building us up, reminding us of who we are. And then the last half of the letter, he switched gears. Because Paul didn't want you to just know who you are, but how you should live. And Paul began chapter 4, imploring you, begging you, getting down on his knees, please live in a manner worthy of your call. Live in a manner worthy of all that God has done in you and for you. Live in such a way that reflects God's glory. And then he defined find that out. He took four important institutions that are a part of most of our lives and defined how we should be a reflection of Christ in the midst of those. First, he said, the church, when you gather together as saints, it should be different than how everyone else gathers. Everyone else separates each other based on skin color, politics, political party, or language or economic background, but not you. You are the people of God. You should be defined by this mutual love for one another, where you submit to one another, where everyone else's needs are greater than yours, to where we have responsibility one for another through speaking the truth in love. Every one of us grows up into the image of God. Paul says, you want to know what it looks like to be a saint in this world? Number one, gather together differently. But he moved on. He said, number two, your marriages should be different. Your marriages should be different from everyone else. Wives, embrace your role of allowing your husband to have responsibility over you because of that was what reflects who God is. But fellas, come on, you have this unique and God-empowered opportunity to love your wives in such a way that when people see it, they can't help but see who Jesus is. Paul said if you want to reflect who Jesus is in our culture your gatherings need to be different your marriages need to be different and then he moved into your homes children obey your parents I know it seems impossible I've been there I had to obey my parents and it was a pain in the rear but Paul says you've been empowered to do it you're a saint You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You are able to do it, and you are expected to do it. But parents, keep in mind, this child that you've been entrusted with, this is a child of God, a co-heir of all creation, someone that God so adores that he sent his own son to suffer and die on their behalf. So treat them with the respect that they deserve. When you parent, when you discipline, Remember, they are a child of God. But there's a fourth institution where Paul said, if you want to know what it looks like to be a saint, to be a reflection of Christ in the midst of a kooky culture, your gathering should be different, your marriages should be different, your family should be different, and fourth, your workplace should be different. If you are the employee, you should work in a way that brings glory to God regardless of who is watching And you should have this reputation of character and respect to where the owner or boss or authority of leader looks at your work and can't help but recognize Jesus Christ himself. But if you're the owner, if you're the manager, if you find yourself in a leadership position, recognize that in the eyes of God, the manager and the worker are the same. Both need the redemption of Jesus Christ and both are there based on the authority and power of God. So exercise your leadership recognize, with humility, recognizing the eyes of God. You are no more special than the person who is serving in your business. Paul's wrapping up his letter and he's wanting you to understand You are a saint plucked out of this culture, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit, put back in the culture to be a reflection of his glory. And that should be happening as you gather in your marriages, in your homes, and in your workplace. But there's one more truth that Paul has. One more exhortation that he believes his church back then needs to know and our church here needs to know. And that's where we're going to wrap up our series today. And we're going to pick up the story... Ephesians chapter 6, chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Or Paul says this, finally, finally, as a result of everything I've said before now, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. First thing Paul says, he wants us to understand, he says, you're in the midst of a struggle. You're a saint. You have been plucked out of this culture, redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ Filled with his Holy Spirit, put back in this culture, but make no mistake, you're in the midst of a struggle. You are in the midst of a battle. That term struggle defines, a, it's used to define a wrestling match between two opponents. Both are trying to subdue and pin the other one to the mat. You are in this epic battle, but the first thing that Paul wants us to know not only are you in, are you in the midst of the battle, but who is your opponent? He begins with who it isn't. Look at this. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Man, all those times you've thought your struggle, your opponent was culture. All those times you thought your opponent was a public education system. All those times you thought the opponent was the other political party. All the times you thought the enemy was the Middle East. Paul says, no, 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 no. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Two terms that are used to define the same thing. Mankind, human beings, culture. That's not your battle. That's not your enemy. And in fact, big biblical but right there, right? Verse 12, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but big biblical but right there against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Paul says, your, your, your opponent isn't out there. It's not people, it's not culture, it's not public education, it's not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Middle East, it's not Palestine, it's not Israel. No, no, no. Your opponent, way bigger deal than all of those put together. Your opponent is Satan himself and his forces of evil. Man, Satan has been called a murderer, a deceiver a liar? He's been compared to a, a ravenous lying, a deceptive serpent? He's been called an angel of light and the god of this age? Paul says, make no mistake, you want to know who your opponent is? It is Satan himself. And listen, there are some who think that what Paul is describing. With the rulers, powers, world forces, this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are some who say, Brian, what Paul is describing is the different levels of authority of, of Satan's spiritual demons. These are, and, and good people who love Jesus believe that. Personally, I don't. I think Paul uses two terms to define mankind, flesh and blood. And then he uses six terms to define Satan and his spiritual forces. Six terms to define your one opponent. And he uses two terms to define mankind and six terms to define Satan to communicate one point. You are grossly outmatched. You thought your opponent was flesh and blood? You thought your opponent was mankind? You got bigger problems. Your opponent is Satan. And then he uses six phrases to define this cosmic spiritual power. It's because of that. Paul says, listen, if you want to know what it's like to be a saint in this world, if you want to know what it looks like to be a Christian in a dark and kooky culture, you need to understand who your opponent is. And it's not mankind. It's Satan. And he is the one who's pulling all the strings. Don't don't get distracted by wrestling matches with everyone else. No, no, no. Your opponent is Satan himself. And on your own, you're grossly outmatched. You are definitely overpowered and you're in trouble. But it's because of that where Paul wants to make sure you are encouraged with three truths, three steps, three things that you need to do. Man, because of who your opponent is, because of who God has created you to be, you're a saint. Put in this culture to be a reflection of his glory where Satan, the God of this age, is orchestrating everything. In fact, look at what he says at the end of verse 11. He says, The schemes of the devil... A term schemes, it's used to define to where uh, he's lying awake, dreaming up new and different ways to undermine and destroy you. Satan and his forces, they take no rest, they offer you no breaks. The moment you drop your guard, you are going to find yourself pinned to the mat. Satan is a master manipulator or he is not taking any breaks. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He is constantly dreaming up ways to undermine you and destroy your soul. That is your opponent. And if all you have is you, you're doomed. But listen to the first thing, first word of encouragement, the first step, the first directive that Paul gives, knowing who your opponent is and the gravity of this issue. Let's go back to verse 10 then. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord. In fact, that term, that verb, be strong, it's in the passive where really it means it's not on your power. It's not something you do. It's something someone else does to you and for you. In other words, it should be understood. Finally, be made strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. First thing Paul says, you want to be a saint in this world? You want to have a different marriage, a different church, a different family, a different work relationship? You want to be a reflection of God in the midst of Kooky California? First thing you need to do is be strong. Be made strong in the strength of God. And listen, this isn't just something that Paul said here. Look at what he said in Romans 8. So what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will we not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. It's a scriptural truth where Paul is saying, listen, one of the chief things you need to rely on as a saint in this world is not your gifting, your strength, your understanding. It is you need to be relying on the power of God. Look at how King David said it. Psalm 18. This is King David. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. This is King David. He killed a bear with his bare hands. He took Goliath down with one rock. And that guy is saying, you want to know who my strength is? My strength is God. God. First thing Paul says is be made strong in the Lord. You need to rely on his strength. That's something that he will give you, that he has given you, that he has promised you. And look at the impact it has. In verse 11, he says, pull on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The full armor of God, the complete workup Man, there is no gap in its protection. There are no extra parts needed. Everything is fully functional. It is the armor, the full protection of God. It has been handcrafted by the God of all creation to fit you perfectly, to meet the demands that you have as a saint in this world. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And look at this. If you're strong in the strength of the Lord, he says, you will stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That term stand firm describes something that's firmly established, something that is stable and immovable. In other words, Paul is saying, if you want to stand a chance of living differently in this world, of being a reflection of God in the midst of kooky California, you need to be made strong in the strength of the Lord. My question that came to my mind this week, maybe for you. So where do you feel too weak? Where do you feel too weak to be a saint? Maybe you look at your church and like, Brian, I I, do just, I just do not see myself being a part of the work of God here. Like it's just too hard. It's too political. I mean, it's too messy. Yep, church is messy because it's filled with messy people. But you've been empowered, filled with the very breath of God to gather together and grow each other in the image of Jesus. You might be looking at your marriage saying, Brian, I'm too weak to do this. There are too many needs, too many burdens, too many issues. I cannot do it. It is impossible to love this man. And here's the biblical truth for you. Nothing is impossible with God. You have been empowered. You have been equipped. You have been enabled to be a reflection, a saint of God in the midst of your marriage. Brian, you don't know my kids. mean, they are rebellious and they are exhausting and I just can't wait until they leave. But you've been empowered to lead them, mentor them, shepherd them in the image of Jesus. You might say, oh my gosh, I can't wait until I can retire and get out of this kooky workplace. But God has empowered you to turn your workplace into more than just a means of getting a paycheck. God's empowered you. He's filled you with His Holy Spirit to turn your job into a mission field, to be a reflection of the glory of God in the midst of it. My question where do you feel like you're too weak to be a saint in this culture, in this place, in your life? Paul's message to you number one, be strong, be made strong. And the strength of the Lord. Now you might be asking, well, Brian, what's that look like? How how do I do that? How, How do I allow the strength of God to empower me to be faithful? Glad you asked. That's exactly where Paul goes next. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. Therefore, because of who your opponent is, because you are grossly outmatched, but because you can be empowered by the strength of God, because of that truth, he says, take up. The full armor of God. A term take up, lift up, pick up, carry something along with you. Don't just look at it. Don't just be aware of it. This is something that you need to choose to apply to your life. Oh God, you're not strengthening me. Are you taking up what God has given? And look at what he says. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. A term resist, great term, means to oppose, stand against when say, what Satan is doing. Man, this armor of God allows you to do something more than just huddle and survive and say, come Lord Jesus, quickly come. You are here to resist, to oppose, and you have been empowered to be an equal opponent to the power of Satan in this world. And lest you think this is something that the Apostle Paul has just come up with, look at what James, the brother of Jesus, said. He said, submit therefore to God. Look at this. Resist the devil. Oppose. Stand against what he's doing, and he will flee from you. Let's keep going. Look at what the Apostle Peter said. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, by the way, because we get distracted. We think everyone's our adversary. Nope, just the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But here's that word again. Resist him. Oppose him. Stand in his face. Don't just sit there and cower and wait for Jesus to come back. Resist him. Him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren. Her in the world. And look what the Gospel of John, uh, the Apostle John said in 1 John. He said, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Man, Paul is like, you want to be a saint in this world? You want to know what it looks like to be someone who's been plucked out of the darkness of this culture, redeemed by the word of God and by the sacrifice of Jesus, filled with his Holy Spirit, And put back in to be a reflection of his glory. He said, your life should be different. And make no mistake, you are grossly overmatched in this world if you're by yourself. Because your adversary is Satan. We like to think it's the professors at Berkeley. We like to think that it's someone up in Sacramento. It's not. Those are just people who are being manipulated by your opponent. Your opponent is Satan. He says, be strong, be made strong. And if you want to be ready for that, you need to take up, you need to put on the full armor of God, the complete protective gear that God has handcrafted for you for this purpose, but you need to put it on. And when you do that, look at this, you will be able. It's not, uh, maybe if you're lucky. You will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, stand firm. Man, if you put on this armor of God, when all the dust settles and everything Satan's about to do is accomplished, you will find yourself stable, firm in the protection of God. So now we get to verse 14. It says, take up the full armor of God. Look at verse 14. He says, stand firm therefore. And then the first three items of the spiritual armor that God has provided, Paul uses this verb. He says, having girded your loins. It's it's in the middle voice, meaning that this is something that Paul believes you've already chosen to do. Said, here's the good news. You have the full armor of God. The good news is you've already put on three pieces of it by nature of your salvation. Look at verse 14. He says, Standing firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the belt. That term, girding your loins, the better way to describe it in our vernacular, you put on the belt. The belt in those days was really understood to be a foundational part of the armor and is really seen as a piece of underwear. And it's a belt that you would put upon, that you would put around you, and not only be used to hook up the other pieces of the armor, but you're used to strap back your, your outer cloak and bind up. See, they wore these big robes back then and these large robes. And when it was time for a battle, you would ready yourself by scooping everything up, tucking it in your belt and putting it uh, behind you, so you wouldn't be held back by the big blousey clothing you had on. And that's what he's saying. He says, be ready First thing he says, number one, be strong. But two, you need to be ready. You need to put on the belt. You need to ready yourself for what God has for you. But he says, having girded your loins with truth. a term truth used to describe reality, fact, certainty. Well, what truth? What truth is Paul referring to? Well, look at how Jesus referred to himself in John 14. Jesus said, that I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And look at what Paul said about it in Ephesians 1, way back at the start, Ephesians 1.13. Paul said this. There it is. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, and look, he defines it, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What truth? Paul's saying, belt yourself on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. The readiness that you have. Number one, rest and be made strong by the power of God. How do you do it? Number one, belt of truth is foundational piece of every armor, who Jesus is and who he's formed and made you to be. He continues, not only having girded your loins with truth, But having put on, again, you see that. It's something that Paul's assuming you've already done. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is a part of the Roman soldier armor that would protect from the neck down to the upper thigh. And the breastplate was designed to protect all those sensitive organs from your neck to your upper thigh, from the front and attack in the back. You need to put on, he said, you've already done this through salvation because of your... Acceptance of who Jesus is. You've already prepared yourself, readied yourself with the truth of who Jesus is. You've already put on the breastplate of righteousness. That term, righteousness, Word describes someone with integrity and tact, someone with a moral and upright reputation. And you might be thinking, oh, Brian, that's not me. I don't know if I have moral integrity. I don't know if I'm always upright. You know what? Sometimes I have a greedy, a greedy heart and I take credit for things that aren't mine. Sometimes I tear other people down to make myself better. Sometimes I cheat, lie, and steal for my own benefit. But here's the good news for you. This isn't the armor of you. This is the armor of God. This is God's righteousness that He has bestowed on you. Look at how Paul said it in Romans 4. He said, but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Man, in your salvation, you have already been given the righteousness of God. Here's what I was thinking this week. You know how Satan usually attacks me? Maybe it's similar to you. He always attacks me with what I fear, where I fail, where I've struggled. He loves to bring up the aspects of my life as a husband where he reminds me of all of the areas I have failed my wife. He loves to remind me of all the times as a parent that I have fallen short to be the father that my boys deserve as children of God. He reminds me time after time of just all the areas that I have struggled to be faithful as a senior pastor, all the things I wish I would have done differently over the last 20 years. And after gut punch, after gut punch, after gut punch, time after time of reminding me of all my failures and all my struggles and all my weaknesses, I finally drop to my knees and consider maybe I just need to give up. But that's because I don't always take up the breastplate of righteousness. See, Satan has no accusation against me. I've already been forgiven of all my failures in the past and of the future. And that doesn't mean that I shouldn't try to strive for perfection. Man, I do my best for my wife, for my boys, and for you. But in those times where I fail, as Satan reminds me of all of my issues, the breastplate of righteousness given to me by God, that's what sustains me in the battle. continues and he says this look at verse 15 and having shod your feet that term shod just a fancy means fancy way of saying you've strapped those shoes on tight you have put on the shoes you have strapped them on and a roman soldier's shoes were these type of boots with uh, brass studs on the soles of the shoes to help them with traction on loose soil and so Paul says, "In having already, this is something you've already done in salvation. You've readied yourself with the belt of truth. You have protected yourself from the attacks of Satan with this breastplate of righteousness. Whether he attacks you from the front or the back, you are equipped and prepared because you've been protected by the righteousness of God. And finally, you have prepared your feet. You have put on the shoes with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You have put on your shoes and you have stability in the slippery and unsure foundations of this world when everything seems to be going awry. You have traction in kooky culture because you are firmed up in the gospel of peace. Not only the word of truth that you have peace with God, but you've been equipped with the message to bring the peace of God to others as well. Look at what the apostle Paul said about the gospel. He said this, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is the studs beneath your shoes. Man, you, are, you have traction in life regardless of what type of soil, what type of shifting is happening in culture. You have traction because you know you have peace with God. And you are prepared to the message to bring other people peace with God as well. The first three parts of the strength of God, the armor of God, the belt to be ready, the breastplate of righteousness where you are putting on the righteousness of God and the shoes equipped with traction because you know that no matter what happens, you're good with the Lord. And no matter what other people do, they can be good with the Lord they'll only receive his gift. But then Paul shifts gears. 16, he says, in addition to that, hey, I assume you three, have you put on those three, but if that's all you do, you are vulnerable. If that's all you do, you are not protected. If that's all you do, you will continue to be outmatched, outclassed, and beaten down by your opponent. You will not stand firm. You need to take up the full armor of God. Not just the pieces that are given to you at the point of salvation. There is some effort. And he changes the verbs that he uses from the middle to the active. Meaning instead of something you've already chosen to do, you need to choose this today. You are vulnerable. If you don't do this today, you place yourself in a vulnerable position. Verse 16, in addition to all of that, he says, start taking up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman shield wasn't just some small circular thing to help you knock off rocks. No, this was a body-sized shield designed to interlock with other Roman soldiers. body size shields. And so when you interlink with your fellow soldiers, you can go forward in a battle fully protected from arrows that are shot at you from the bottom and from the top. he says, you need to have this shield of faith, this shield that you recognize that God is in charge, that God will accomplish all that he has said that he will do. You move forward in that confidence and look at this. Look what the shield of faith does with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Flaming arrows in this day, people would dip arrowheads in tar, light them on fire and shoot them. The goal wouldn't be to kill you right then. The goal would be to maim you and wreak all sorts of havoc in your body and the body around you. And so they'd have these full body shields, or they'd put them up and the flaming arrows would attack these these shields. But look at what your shield of faith does. It not only protects you from them, look at what it says. Taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish. It doesn't just protect you. That term extinguish means to put out, to quench, to render powerless. Man, Satan shoots arrows at your heart and mind. You have these blasphemous thoughts about God, these hateful thoughts about others. You have these selfish desires in your heart. They may not destroy you right away, but they undermine your soul and they wreak havoc on those around you. And the shield of faith doesn't just protect you. It empowers you to render those flaming arrows powerless. Powerless to knock them up, to quench them, to completely render them powerless. Man, that is the power of God. Now, let me remind you that this is to resist and to oppose the work of Satan. You don't need to attack Satan. You know why he's already been defeated. You know that. Man, this is armor to equip you. The battle's been won. God has put you in here to be a reflection of his glory as Satan's trying to wreak all sorts of havoc until Jesus finishes his plan. You are put here to be a reflection of glory in the midst of all of his mayhem. He's already been defeated. All you need to do is reflect the glory of God in the midst of the darkness in confidence that Jesus will complete it in the end. Take up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Look at this, helmet of salvation, helmet of salvation, the helmet for a Roman soldier had two purposes, the most obvious one to protect your head. But the second one is to adorn the Roman soldier as special, as unique. Man, when you put on a Roman soldier helmet, you had respect because Roman soldiers were the baddest dudes in town. Most believe that Paul has that same double meaning for you. Man, the helmet of salvation protects you, but also adorns you as special, as chosen, as specially trained for the job that God has given you. No one questioned the heart or the ability of a Roman soldier, not when he put on that helmet. And lastly, the sword of the Spirit. The term sword, it's not meant to talk about that big sword that people swing and lops off heads and arms. That's not the sword it's talking about. It's talking about the sword that you would have on your waist, the close combat sword, because sometimes Satan gets personal. Sometimes Satan's going to get past your, past your buddies. Sometimes he's going to get through your church. Sometimes it's just going to be you and him. He's going to come after you. He's going to come after your family. He's going to come after your church. And at those times, when it's just you and him, you're equipped with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Look what the book of Hebrews says about the word of God. Hebrews 4 says this. The sword you have says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Man, the sword that you have to do one-on-one combat when Satan makes it personal. Man, you are equipped. God has not set you on this earth to be pummeled by your opponent. He recognized that left on your own, you are grossly outmatched. So he has given you his full armor. There is no gaps in its protection. There are no flaws in its design. There are no missing pieces and there are no malfunctioning parts. This is a complete armor and protection that God has handcrafted for you for the purpose he has given you. Because he has plucked you out of this dark culture. He has redeemed you. With salvation of Jesus Christ, he has filled you with his spirit and put you back in to be a reflection of his glory. And he has not put you back in California for you to get manhandled by culture. He has put you here to be a reflection of his glory and he has empowered you to do so. One last thing, Paul says. If you truly want to be different, you want to be a saint in a kooky culture. Here's the third and the quick one. Number one, be strong. Number two, be ready. Number three, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Look what he says, verse 18. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. He says, number one, I want you to be prayerful for awareness. He says, pray without ceasing. And I love how he says it pray at all times in the spirit. I love that. When you're driving and you're praying, don't close your eyes. Right? It's okay. He says, pray at all times in the spirit. You don't have to bow your head and close your eyes, get on your knees. You need to have this mindset where you're constantly trying to align your heart and your viewpoint with God's heart and his viewpoint. At all times, be prayerful at all times, at every moment of the day, not just for you, but for one another. Do you see that? He says, not just for you, but for all the saints. He says, be on the alert, pray for awareness. God, what do I need to be aware of? What's going on around me? God, help me to see my life as you see it, not how I see it. Man, we're so quick to ask all the talking heads in our life to read books, to, read, to watch the news, to listen to someone's podcast, and they're directing us on what we should do in our lives, in our marriage. Paul's like, tune all them out. You need to be prayerful. God, help me to be aware. Help me to see my life as you see it. God, help me to see my marriage as you see it. Help me to be aware of what you need me to do. God, I got four boys. You know I'm not ready for that. God, help me to see their hearts as you do. They look like knuckleheads to me. God, what do you need me to say? What do you need me to do? God, how do you see their hearts? God, my pastor's drive me crazy. God, how, equip me to see what's going on as you do. God, that I know how to encourage. I know how to correct. I know how to come alongside. God, I look at Kooky, California, and I just can't wait till I can move to Texas God, help me see Cookie California as you do. Make me aware of everything you're doing. God, I can be a part of that. Number one, he says, pray for awareness always, at all times. Align your viewpoint and your heart with his viewpoint and his heart. Number two, I love this one. Look at verse 19. And pray on my behalf, Paul says. I love that. Hey, by the way, while you're praying all the time, Paul says, Pray for me that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, Number two, pray for boldness. And Paul is asking for that. Does that strike anyone else as weird? Paul's the one who will charge hell with a squirt gun, it seems. Why is he praying for boldness? And if Paul is saying, please pray for boldness for me. What should we be doing for ourselves and for one another? Man, if Paul needs boldness, good heavens, what do you need? Paul says, I'm here strapped to this Roman soldier enchained for the gospel of Christ and pray that I have an opportunity to preach the gospel and that I will do it boldly and courageously. I ask you, where do you need boldness to proclaim the gospel of Christ in your life? Paul wraps his letter up. He's saying, you have, your identity, you're a saint of God. You've been plucked out of this dark culture, saved by the sacrifice of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit and put back in to be a reflection of His glory and every aspect of your life should be different. And I know that you're facing a battle that on your own you are grossly overmatched. But not if you get strong with the Lord. Not if you get ready to do battle with the armor that God has handcrafted for you, and not if you're prayerful. Constantly, every moment of every day, seeking to align your heart and your viewpoint with God's and praying for boldness for yourself and for everyone else. So what do we do with this? With Ephesians, what's the next step for us? I thought, well, maybe we try it out. Advent, our new series, starts next Sunday. Songs of Christmas Past. So often at Christmas, we make it about Christmas carols. How do we greet people? Merry Christmas, happy holidays. And we divide ourselves over all of that. But, you know, the original time in Scripture where the message of the coming Messiah was given, spontaneous songs erupted in the midst of people's lives. I'd love to share those with you. Where When the message of the Messiah first was made known to people, their lives were instantly changed. Maybe there's one person you can invite to join you for this five-week series. Five weeks where we're just looking at the power of God as it clearly comes about the power of the Messiah and allow them to participate and experience the spontaneous songs that come when people first heard of the power of Jesus. One person that you can invite starting next Sunday. Where can you be strong in the Lord, be ready with his armor, and be prayerful in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, a church, God, most of us are here because we do believe in your power. God, you've created everything out of nothing. God, you've plucked us out of the struggles of our lives and create us into saints, children of yours, heirs of your kingdom, partners in your ministry. So God, we ask you open our eyes and allow us to see ourselves as you do. God, help us to recognize who our opponent is and who our opponent isn't. God, protect us from being distracted from all the, the little battles of this world. And God, help us to be focused on what you have placed us to be, to be a reflection of your glory. So God, we ask that your churches will be changed and different. And once again, reflectors of your glory where they're grown up and built up to be bastions of of confidence and trust where people come to find you. God, renew and restore our marriages that they're a reflection of your glory that people see you in the midst of how we love one another. God, restore our families. Revive our workplaces. God, draw our attention to those so we don't look for ways to avoid them, but we look for opportunities to be a minister of the gospel in the midst of them. God, finally give us courage that as we're sitting here, created by you to be a reflection of your glory in this place this time, God, give us confidence and faith in the protections you've given. Help us stand firm. God, help us to resist the schemes of the devil, God, that we might bring you. For everything in Jesus.